good morning. Good to see all of you. All right, I got uh, from, thanks to last night, I got an extended stage so I can come on out to, to just really close to you guys. But it's great to see all of you. We had a great, great event last night at the uh, Spirit Awards. Tremendous. I'm so proud of so many of our members that shine. Uh, you know, we had a lot of nominees, but you know, the incredible thing is you could have given all of those nominees the award, but uh, really, really tremendous event. I think you see uh, highlights online. If you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. We're right in the middle of a series called Prepared, and you know, we, we want to be prepared, and if there's something I know about you, if you're a Christian, you want to be prepared. This whole series is about, you know, for us as Christians, Sometimes we get put in this position with family, with friends, with people at work, and they, they kind of they hit us with questions. They kind of undermine our faith, and they, you know, you, you don't really believe everything in the Bible, do you? You're one of those, those, those Christian people, right? You're one of those guys that, that goes to church a lot, right? You know, and, or, or they'll throw, you know, something at you. What about Revelation? Is it, is it literal? Is it, is it symbolic? What, what, what is it? You know, and a lot of times because we're put on, you know, our defense, we're not ready, we're not prepared, and sometimes it's like that interview video where we're, we're there and we don't always give a good answer. We're not prepared. Uh, and if you're a guest here today, I'm really glad you're here because you get to hear, you know, maybe why we're a little awkward sometimes as Christians, you know, what it's like. And, and for us, we got a very passionate faith. We're very passionate about what we believe. Uh, what we feel about the Bible, about the scriptures. But when it comes to talking to people outside, you know, sometimes it can shake us. You know, like Thanksgiving's come up and you always get with your uncle Ernie, you know. And Ernie, he's not very fired up about the fact that you're a follower of Jesus. So he's got something to say about it. He's always throwing digs. It's, it's like a drive-by each and every holiday. You know, and so it's important for us to be prepared. And, and this is kind of the, the overhanging thought of the, of the series is defending your faith without losing your mind. Okay? Defending your faith without losing your mind. And, and here's another one, too, that we've been, we've been talking about is, is this. What to, say, what to say when there's little time and even less interest. A lot of times when people make these comments, they really don't want to engage in a conversation like if you go, hey, you know what? That's a really great question. How about if we study the Bible? How about if you and I read a book together? And they're like, no, 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 no. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, or change the subject. You know, they'll move on to something else. They'll tell you their bad church experience, how, how it was awful and how Christians and, and they're weird and the, and the minister that ran off with the secretary and, and this kind of thing. And then they change the subject. You can't, you can't like... And that's the way people are when they're trying to stiff-arm you sometimes about your faith and their faith. So this is, this is for us to be prepared so that we can, in a, in a nutshell, we can give a reason for what we believe. And this is where the, the, the verse that we're using for this series, Peter said this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And this is Peter saying, and, and just so you know, Peter is not saying that you need to be prepared to give an answer to any and every question that arises from the Bible. You know, you, you can't do that, right? I can't even do that. I got people that ask me questions and I don't have the answer for it. That's not what Peter is saying. Or what's your Christian worldview? 
can you explain that in a nutshell? You know, or, or you know, can you explain why bad things happen to good people? You know, in a nutshell, and, and it, it's kind of a dig, it's kind of a hit and run that, that people do. But Peter's not saying that. He's saying, listen, I want you to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for you, the hope that you have. So in a nutshell, why, why do you follow Jesus? What's the reason that you follow Jesus? And so what we want to be ready for is be prepared to defend the decision that you made to follow Jesus. What's the reason? And is it really obvious to people that you're in this, that you believe this, that, that this is something that you're very passionate about? But what's the reason for it? And another, another phrase here is this, is that be prepared to defend your hope or your confidence in Christ. In a nutshell, in a, in a one-liner, in a phrase. And, and this is so, so important that we're looking at it and if we looked at this last week, if you ask Peter, Peter, tell us why you follow Jesus. And here it is. The resurrection was the reason Peter decided to follow Jesus. See, he explained it this way. I was with a guy. I was with my friend, Jesus. I followed him for three years. He predicted that how he was going to die. I saw him on the cross. I was there. I watched the breath, the life go out of him. I watched him die. I saw where they buried him. I saw the tomb. And three days later, I'm having breakfast with the guy. You see, when you see that, you follow that guy. You follow him. And that's what Peter's testimony. I, I don't know all the answers to the Old Testament questions, but one thing I do know is I was with him, he died, and then we had breakfast. And, and that, that, was, that was all it took for Peter. The resurrection. And the, the truth of the matter is most, if not all, of the first century followers of Jesus, this was the reason. It wasn't about, I believe in the Bible, or God's changed my life. I've had this incredible faith experience. That wasn't the reason why the first century followers followed. The reason was because there was an event. And the event was a resurrection. And it's a powerful reason for our faith. And so I want to I talk about this because people are going to ask you questions. And so we talked about this last week. Here's the phrase that I suggested if somebody asks you a lot of questions. You go, hey, well, I don't know why the minister ran off with his secretary, but that's really not a reflection of me and my faith. Here's the reason why I follow Jesus. The reason I follow Jesus is I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. It's that simple. You know, I don't know exactly if it was six literal days in Genesis or if it was more of a time frame, a longer time frame. I don't have the answer to that question. But one thing I do know, Jesus died for my sins and he rose from the dead. That's my, and, and, and I don't know why there's so much chaos in the world. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. You know, there's books that you could read on that. I could I su suggest some to you. But here's, here's my reason. Okay, and so last week I suggested this statement to you, and then we ended on this phrase, and I kind of got a lot of your attention. But I don't believe it because the Bible says so. It's better than that. 
And some of you are like, it's better than the Bible? Okay, I'm coming back. I want to know what you've got to say about that. Because, you know, we, we look at the Bible and we say, man, the Bible's everything, right? But it's even better than the Bible. And this is what you can share with somebody if, when you understand what we're talking about. So today we're going to talk about the Bible. All right, we're going to look at the Bible, this, this book, and I, I brought one with me. My, my, this is my trusty Bible that I use in the desk. It's got the, the markers, and it's, a, it's an incredible weapon that I use to study. Uh, but I don't carry it around with me everywhere. But, but the, here it is. And when we, uh, when we look at this, this is very important. When this comes up in conversation, you need to know how to respond to it. You need to understand how to address the Bible, because it gets thrown around a lot. And here's, here's the dilemma that we have. Okay, when we look at the Bible, a lot of us were raised in church, right? Or we've been in the church a long time. Pharaoh was up here, been about 17 years. Uh, some people have been 30 years or more. You know, some of us were raised in church, right? And this is what we were taught. This is something that we were taught. The, the infallible but seemingly indefensible foundation of our faith. The Bible defends itself, we think. But here's what happens to a lot of our younger people. You guys that are teens, you're going to be going to college, and sometimes it happens in high school, but you get a really, really sharp professor who thinks he knows a lot about a lot, and he pokes a hole and has a question about the Bible, and you don't know how to defend it. You don't know how to answer it. You're like, whoa, I don't know. What, what happens when somebody moves this and questions whether the Bible is infallible or not? See, because there's, there's things about the Bible, the Old Testament, that, you know, I, I don't have all the answers to. Now, I know people who have most of the answers, but there's even people that I know who are, you know, they got doctorate degrees and everything, and I, I put it to them and say, well, what about this? And they go, you know, I, I, there's, here's, there's three views on this, but an absolute. And see, but when, when you're in this situation, and it seems you've grown up and you said the Bible's indefensible, it's a word of God, it's the truth. And we've based our whole life on it. What happens when somebody poses a question? So I'm going to share with you a quote from a young lady who's very typical of some of us, but particularly some of our young people, and it's happening a lot today. Her name is Jessica Meisner. She wrote a blog. It's called Why I Miss Being a Born-Again Christian. Now, she's no longer a follower of Jesus. She left her faith. But when she was young, she was a teenager. She grew up in church. She, like us, she sang songs in church. She, she was raised in Sunday school, you know, and, and she went on youth camp and mission trips and all those things. And, and her experience for 21 years was all about Jesus and that the Bible, the Bible is amazing. But then she got to go to college, away to college, to a very prominent school, a college in the United States. And many of her professors and many of her fellow students began to poke holes in her belief system. Let's listen to what she says. We evangelicals, with our infallible view of Scripture, ripped from our hands. This is how she felt in college. We're left gasping for air. If you crumple and toss out the literal reading of the Bible, 
then what does it mean to talk about Jesus literally dying for your sins? Let me tell you what happened to Jessica. They poked a hole in maybe Genesis. And because Genesis, you know, her faith was like a house of cards. And there on the bottom, you know, towards the right, there was this card in Genesis, and they moved Genesis just a little bit. And guess what happened to the whole house? Boom, came down. Her faith collapsed because somebody was poking holes in her belief system. Maybe it was this question about, hey, you believe in Adam and Eve, right? She probably said, yes, I believe in Adam and Eve. Well, did you know that there's almost a parallel story in another mythical creation story, almost just like it? Did you know that, that there's parallels? Do you really think the Bible's the only creation story? And, and here she goes, you know. She lost her faith. And see, this happens to a lot of young people, and I want to talk about this, but it happens to a lot of us because we base our faith on our life experience. And let me tell you, your life experience is going to go through ups and downs. And if your faith is going to stand the test of time and the stand the test of criticism and people more and more today who are going to poke holes in this, then you've got to go deeper. And so today, we're going to look at, we're going to look at the Bible a little bit deeper. And I just want to say this. This is very important, and it's going to shake a few of you. The foundation of our faith as Christians is not just the Bible. Whoa, wait a minute. You're telling me that it's not just the Bible? I thought the Bible was everything. Now, hang on. Give me a minute, and I'll explain to you what I'm meaning. But it's not just the Bible, because what happened with Jessica, she put everything on the Bible. And because people began to poke holes, which will happen, it all came down. So, Christians take the Old Testament seriously. Why? Because Jesus did. Now, those of you who are followers of Jesus, when they studied the Bible with you, did they start in Genesis? Hey, I want to study the Bible with you, and I want to show you Genesis 1, and we're going to go from there. And, and, and you're going to grow your faith from Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis, and then, then we're going to move on to Exodus, okay? And then, then we're going to move through, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Really not going to help your faith, but we'll move path. And then Joshua, we're going to go to Joshua. That's really good. Did that happen? Any of you here today? No, you would, if you were becoming a Jew, then we would have done that. What <laughs> What did they do with you? They talked about who? Jesus. They brought you right to Jesus. The reason I believe in the Old Testament is because Jesus did. See, if Jesus predicted his death, then died that way, then rose from the dead... And all the other things that he did, the miracles and his teaching and his life and his love, just, just a, an incomparable life. And you go, man, i got to follow him. So whatever he says, I'm with him. And so look at Jesus's, look, look at his view on the Old Testament. Look at what he said here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Did Jesus believe that the Old Testament was divine and inspired by God? Absolutely. 
So therefore, guess what I believe about the Old Testament? It's divine and inspired by God. Now, do I have the answers for every single question that somebody may pose about the Old Testament? No, I do not. But I believe it because Jesus believed it. And I put my faith in Jesus. Right? Are you with me so far? Okay. So, what's more compelling? I'm just going to ask you a question. What's more compelling? I believe the story of Adam and Eve because it's in the Bible. Or, I believe the story of Adam and Eve because Jesus did. Real easy for me, because Jesus did. Jesus talked about Adam and Eve. And I believe Jesus was the Son of God. And he backed it up with his, his life. And so, I believe in Adam and Eve because Jesus did. If he mentions it, says it's true, I'm with Jesus. You don't have a problem with Jesus, do you? Most people don't, right? You know, with your Uncle Ernie and the whole thing about, you know, hey, well, what about the Bible? Say, hey, I just believe it because Jesus. You don't have a problem with Jesus, do you, Ernie? No, 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 no. I don't have a problem with Jesus. See, most Americans do not have a problem with Jesus. And if you do have a problem with Jesus, we're going to fix that. Okay, but see, this is, this is much more compelling. We came to faith through Jesus, not through the Old Testament. All right, let's move on. And, and this is something you could say is, yeah, there's some interesting stories in the Old Testament, but since Jesus took the Old Testament seriously, I do too. Okay? It's that simple. Now, you know, when I became a Christian, I studied the New Testament. For the first year of my Christian faith, I didn't even look at the Old Testament. I spent every day in the New Testament. You know why? Because that's my faith. I wanted to know about Jesus. I'm following Jesus. See, and then the second year, I got to know the Old Testament as a history of God's people. And why did I get to know the Old Testament? Because Jesus talked about the Old Testament. But my foundation was Jesus and the New Testament. Now, here's an objection that someone could bring up with you. Objection, since the Bible is the source of what Jesus said, aren't we using the Bible to prove the Bible? Kind of a, a circular, you know, uh, argument. We're going round and round and round, right? Absolutely not. We're not using a circular argument, and I'm going to show you why. The Bible, okay, and this is something really, really important. This, this, this book that we have, this, this book. Do you know what the Bible literally means? It means book, <laughs> but it means a collection. It means a collection of ancient manuscripts. Before this, do you know what the content of the Bible looked like? Let's take the Old Testament, for example. Do you know what the Old Testament looked like before it became bound like this. Let me show you what it looks like. It looks like this. Okay, they've got this part. You've got Matthew, Luke, and John, but this is what it looked like. See these? Right behind this curtain, we're in a synagogue. Right behind, there's this box behind this curtain. Did you know that? You know what's in the box? These are called scrolls. The scrolls are the ancient manuscripts or copies of the ancient manuscripts that are in the Old Testament. They stand alone. 
See, there's not one scroll. How many scrolls are there? I count one, two, three, four, five. And probably some of them are brought together. When they meet in synagogue, they bring these scrolls. They're in that box right back there. They won't allow me to bring them out, but just trust me. They're in there. And they unroll the scrolls. There's one half here, one roll here, one roll here, and they roll it back and forth, and they read from the Old Testament on this podium. They don't read from this. They read from scrolls. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Each one of these documents, okay, ancient manuscripts, stood by themselves, all of them. There's a story in the book of Acts, chapter 8, when a, uh, an Ethiopian was, was riding in a chariot, and he had a scroll. Anybody know what the name of the scroll was? It's the book of Isaiah. See, people didn't walk around with Bibles. They walked around with scrolls. And this is important because each, each document stood on its own. Not just these in the Old Testament, but these letters, these Gospels. These were the followers of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and they basically walked around with Jesus, saw what he did and said, and they wrote it down, they documented it. But each one was independent. It wasn't until later that they brought the four Gospels together as one document. Then after that, the epistles, they came along, the, the followers of the next gen, the followers of Jesus, they wrote what they call the epistles. These were also separate documents and letters, as they were called. And they stand alone. It wasn't until later that everything was put together. And they were, they were basically cross-checked back and forth to make sure that they were accurate and reliable. Do you know how many documents were circulating around in the Old Testament, the first century? A lot of false documents. And so they went through and they made sure that these check out. Ones that didn't check out were gone. And these are the ones that we're left with. And they've been checked and documented to be accurate and reliable. Now here's something else that's very powerful about what we're going to learn today. And that's this. Christians don't believe the Gospels are reliable because they're in the Bible. What came first? Gospels or Bible? Gospels, right? We don't believe that the Gospels are reliable because they're in the Bible. We believe this. We believe that Christians believe the Gospels were included in the Bible because they are considered reliable. That's why they were put together in what we see now as the Bible. Okay? Now, we're going to get a little complicated, so I need you to turn on your thinking cap. All right? You ready? Okay, this is very important. Track with me. The Gospels are considered reliable because of who wrote them and when they were written. Who wrote them and when they were written? Who wrote the book or the Gospel of Matthew? Easy answer, Matthew. Why did Matthew write it? Because Matthew was there. He was an eyewitness. Mark. Who wrote Mark? Mark. Okay, Mark, where did he get his information? From Peter. Peter was there. Luke, where did he get his information? He investigated. He did a thorough investigation from many eyewitnesses. Not one eyewitness. Many eyewitnesses. He checked it out like a private investigator. 
to find out what happened with Jesus. And then John, John was right up on Jesus. Okay, he was right up on Jesus, the closest disciple to Jesus. You've got four that cross-check and tell their story about their experience with Jesus. So it's about who wrote them, who wrote the, who wrote the Gospels. Was it somebody else later on, 120 years later, which some skeptics say that the Gospels were written 120 years later? No, these were eyewitnesses that sat down, talked, shared the stories. Well, I'm going to write mine, you write yours. From based on your experience. They're a little different, very little different, but it's based on a personal experience. What did he remember? But they overlap, which is very, very powerful. And when? Okay, so I'm going to introduce you a, a date that's very, very important to Christians. Incredibly important to Christians. A lot of you guys ha- don't know. Why, why is 70 A.D. important to Christians? Anybody know? It's the, it's the year that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. It's when it would, was brought to the ground. It was leveled. To this day, it's never been rebuilt. Why is that significant? Let me, I'm going to tell you the story. And, and basically what happened was this. The Romans, they started, they, they started forming, the Jews started forming groups of terror groups and all throughout the province, and they were attacking Roman outposts, and they were killing Roman soldiers. They were doing this more and more. It was called the Jewish War in 70 A.D. It's actually August of 70 A.D. And they basically started terrorizing the Roman outpost. So Vespian, he was a Roman general, was charged to go and take care of these terrorist groups, wipe them out. And so what happened is he comes with a large army of Roman soldiers, and so all these, these cells of terror groups, Jewish terror groups, they banded together, went to Jerusalem, and held up in Jerusalem. And then they basically attacked the garrison in Jerusalem, took all the weapons from the Romans, killed all the Roman soldiers in Jerusalem. Then they went to Masada. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but they went to Masada, these Jewish warriors that banded together in all these terror cell groups. They went to Masada. They, they, they raided Herod's fort, took all of his weapons, came back to Jerusalem and created a fortress. They had a lot of weapons, a lot of food, and they held up tight. Jerusalem had three walls surrounding it. Very hard city to get into. So Vespian basically laid siege to to Jerusalem. And for two years, he couldn't get in. I mean, these are the Romans. Very powerful. And so wasn't able to get in. Vespian basically goes back to Rome. He's made emperor. And he tells his son, Titus, to go back to Jerusalem. And he says, I want you to take that city. You take and you knock it out. We've been trying to get him, and, and we haven't been able. So Titus goes with a larger army to lay siege to Jerusalem. And basically, Titus, he digs a trench around the city of Jerusalem so no one can get in or out. It's 42 miles long, this trench that surrounds Jerusalem. And for two and a half years, they're trying to get in to Jerusalem. And it got really brutal. 
They were killing Jews by the thousands on the outskirts. Basically, they formed around the trench crucifixions. Any and every Jew that they could find, they would crucify him. In one day, in one day, Josephus tells us that they crucified on a scaffolding, a huge wall. 500 Jews were crucified in one day on the scaffolding to basically tell the Jewish warriors inside Jerusalem, you're going to die and we will wipe every one of you out. And so the war continued and Titus basically broke down the first wall, broke through the second wall, and let me just say this, when they got through the third wall, they were mad. The Roman soldiers were extremely mad. They had a bloodlust. See, in June and July, August, in, in Jerusalem, it's extremely hot. They had to spend two to three years there. It gets extremely cold in the winter. These soldiers were heated that they had to be away from home for all this time. So Josephus, he was a Jew who was captured and later became a Roman general. Here's what he writes. The slaughter within, meaning inside of Jerusalem, was even more dreadful than the spectacle from without. Men and women, young and old, insurgents, priests, those who fought, and those who entreated mercy were hewn down technology. Were hewn down indiscriminate carnage. The legionnaires had to clamber over heaps of dead bodies to carry on the work of extermination. They killed everybody in Jerusalem. Josephus said they killed in one, in one, one run through a million people in a small area of real estate. Historians say it was a little overshot, probably 300,000 people. Josephus said the bodies were stacked high. It was an awful thing. So why am I telling you this horrific story on Sunday? It's significant. Why is it significant? Because it's the day, it was the time when the Jewish practice of their religion ended. It ceased. The temple was destroyed. It was leveled. So they could no longer practice their worship as prescribed. No more sacrifices. And it was so significant that later, Titus went back to Rome. He's made an emperor, but he gets sick and he dies. So his brother, Domitian, takes reign. And he wants to commemorate what Titus did as an emperor and as a general. So he builds this arch. It's right in front of, this is the Colosseum. You know about the Colosseum. This is the arch that Domitian, he, he built in honor of his brother, Titus. This is a close-up of the arch. And right here on the top part, on the inside of the top part, is this image. This is significant because it shows what Titus did. Is he, they're carting off all the items from their conquering of Jerusalem, the Jewish war. It was considered a major victory and conquer for the Romans. It's significant for the Jews. It's significant for the Romans. Jews, because it, it marked a time when they were laid low and their religious system was knocked over completely. So why is it significant for us? 
It's significant for this reason. When you think about this, this question, or this statement, there's no mention against the Jews or the destruction of the Jewish temple in the New Testament. No mention of it. It's such a significant event. Why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they mention it in the Gospels? Jesus actually predicted, he predicted that the temple would be destroyed. They were walking out and they said, you see all these stones? One day they're going to be laid waste. Why didn't they say, just like Jesus said, why didn't they mention it? It's a huge question. And the reason is because it hadn't happened yet. So what you're saying is the Gospels were written between the time of Jesus's after his resurrection, right? We're talking about 40 A.D. and 70. We're talking a span of time of about 37 to 40 years. When were the Gospels written? If they don't include this incredible historical event, not even the epistles. We know that the Gospels were written between that time, which basically says this. The guys were still alive, and could, the story could be verified by many witnesses. If it was false what they wrote, it could have been protested. And so it's verifiable at the time that it was written. That's what makes it so significant. 70 A.D. is so important. And look at what Paul said. First, I have received what I passed on to you as the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. How important are the Scriptures? He's talking about the Gospels. He's talking about the documents, the manuscripts that the, the apostles wrote, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote. How is it verifiable? He goes on to say, and he appeared, Jesus appeared to Cephas. He's talking about Peter. Peter was an eyewitness. Then to the 12 with the other 12 apostles. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still alive. At the time that, Peter, that, that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinth church, he's saying there are eyewitnesses alive today that saw Jesus. We're not telling you a fable or a story. We're telling you a reliable historical event that's verifiable by 500 witnesses and four guys who documented what happened. And you can cross-check it. See, our foundation is, is, not, is not just the Bible. It's much better than that. See, you want to knock down, you want to knock down Genesis? What are you going to do about Mark? What are you going to do about Matthew? What are you going to do about John and their testimony? What are you going to do about, about the Apostle Paul? So, so here we are. And he goes on to say, though that some have fallen asleep, meaning of those 500, some people have died. Then he appeared to James. Let's talk about James. James is Jesus' brother. When did James become a follower of Jesus? After the resurrection. What would you have to do to prove to your brother that you're the Messiah? I mean, come on. I grew up with you, dude. You raised from the dead. You're the Messiah. Okay? 
We got James. Just give me James. I don't need Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just give me James. It's his brother. That's plenty. But we have more. John James, to all the apostles, then last he appeared to me, Paul. I saw resurrected Jesus. That's what did it for me. That's why this is so important. It's not the Bible. It's the event of the resurrection. Okay, so the Old Testament. Let's just go through it. I'm going to have the ushers, guys, if you could go ahead and pass out the cards. Did everybody get a card? Not yet? All right, I'm going to give you a gift today. This is something very, very important for you to take with you, have around, keep it in your, your, your wallet. Okay, you can take a copy, take a picture of it, put it in your phone. Okay, it's very important. Why? Because when you go to Thanksgiving this year and your, your Uncle Ernie who's all negative, and says, well, you don't really believe everything in the Old Testament, do you? And you can just pop this out. Okay? All right. Hey, give me a napkin. I'm going to have a napkin and a pen. I'm going to show you, Uncle Ernie. Okay? Uncle Ernie, let me show you. Okay, let me show you. Yes, I believe that the Old Testament is the inspired word of God. Why? Why do I believe this? Because Jesus did. That's why I believe in the Old Testament, because Jesus did. Yeah, yeah, but Jesus is in the Bible. Why, why are you saying you're using the Bible to prove the Bible? No, 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 it's much better than that. Here's the reason why I believe in Jesus. Okay, I believe in Jesus because of what Matthew said. I believe in the New Testament because of what Mark said, well, because Luke said, John said, Peter said, James, his brother said, and Paul that's why I believe. See, I'm not following some hollow story. I'm following something that's built. It will testify in court. You can cross-reference it. Go back and, and see what's written. And we're not talking about getting in a fight, okay? They're not getting in a fight. I'm, I'm talking passion, but you're having a conversation. Be, be gentle and respectful, like Peter said. Okay, we're having a conversation. Okay, so on your card is this. You got, the, you got the building blocks here on the back of your card, okay? And so you can use this with Uncle Ernie, all right? And then on the other side, it says, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead, but not because the Bible says so. It's much better than that. I believe because Matthew, what Matthew said, Mark said, Luke said, John said, Peter said, James said, and Paul and they were eyewitnesses and friends of eyewitnesses. Since no New Testament author references the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 AD, I believe the New Testament was completed 40 years before Jesus' resurrection. It's a huge point. Now I realize your faith, and let me just say this, I love the Bible. I read it every day. I read it from cover to cover every year. I'm passionate about the Bible. But you have to understand, the Bible is under attack in our world today. People are taking shots. And I hope that you will have a deeper faith and a deeper conviction about what you're following. That if we mess with Genesis, your whole house doesn't come down. That's why you have to have a well-built house 
And you have to understand how this came together. And what we're following, it's not just because the Bible says so, it's much better than that. There's so much more behind this. And too often evangelicals have stood on saying, well, the Bible says, and the Bible's the truth, and the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. But you've got to go deeper than that, particularly now when people are bringing up these questions. And I want to say this to our young audience. This is huge. You're going to come under fire in school, in college. And you need to be prepared. And for the rest of us, you're going to come under fire because your faith is built on your life experience. And Mike's going to talk about this next week in part three of, 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 of prepared because when you introduce pain and hardship and prayers not answered, what does that do to your faith? The same way Jessica left her faith because people poked holes in what she thought was the infallible word of God. I believe it's infallible. I believe it's the word of God. It's the truth. But, hey, when you're tested, when it's shaken, you can lose your faith. All right, so let's wrap it up. Here's what we said last week, okay? Why do you follow Jesus? I follow Jesus. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. But I don't believe it just because the Bible says so. It's much better than that. I believe it because what Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, and Paul said. They said so. It's credible and it's verifiable. And that's what you say to other people. Now let me say this. Some of you got to take your faith to a whole nother level. Because if this is true, what kind of life should you be living for Jesus? Passive? You know, yeah, Jesus, Christianity, I go to church once in a while, show up when I can. No, 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 no. This, this needs to take your Christianity to a whole other level. We're not just talking about, you know, cool little things to say to people when they have questions. I want to ask you about your faith. What are you living for? What are you devoted to? What are you willing to die for? If these people are willing to die for their faith, how can we be so passive, so indifferent about our walk and our faith? So this is a little bit more than how to give a cute answer to Uncle Ernie. And Mike's going to talk about that next week, and it's going to help a lot of you but too many are stumbling in their faith because their confidence and their hope is not rooted in the resurrection. It's rooted in other things. Yeah, God's blessed my life. What if he doesn't? What if there's really hardship in your life and prayers are not answered for a long time, if ever? What do you do then? I've seen people walk away from their faith over that. Hey, whether my life goes good or not, it doesn't change whether Jesus rose from, Jesus rose from the dead and died for my sins. That's, that's where I'm rooted. That's where I am, whether it goes good or bad. And I'm thankful it's gone good, but I don't know how it's going to go. And I'm not going to let people shake my faith in the resurrection over a few questions that I can't answer. I don't have all the answers. I'm not that good. But I know enough, and I want to know more. So let me pray for you, and let's wrap it up. Hope you have a really awesome day today. Father, thank you 
Thank you so much, God. What we talked about this morning is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much, God, that you've made it clear. There's no excuse not to put our hope in you. Father, thank you for your, for your word, God. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for, for Matthew, for Mark, for Luke, for John, for Peter, for James, for Paul. God, thank you that we still have the scriptures. People died so we could preserve these documents. We have them in our hands. Help us to read your word, to study it, to take our convictions to a deeper level. God, thank you for our faith. Thank you for dying for our sins. And we pray, God, that you'll help us as a church to be a light by the way we live. We love you. Thank you. Thank you for always being so good to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you again next week for part three of Prepared.